0: Wargaming Recon is proudly sponsored by the Maine Historical Wargamers Association. They're the folks behind Huzzah! Historical Wargaming or New England. Huzzah takes place May 15th to the 17th, 2020 at the Doubletree in South Portland, Maine. Experience some of the best historical wargaming at Huzzah! Visit www.huzzahcon.com for more information. Wargaming Recon is proudly sponsored by Enfilade. Enfilade is a flagship historical wargaming convention for the Northwest Historical Miniature Gaming Society. Enfilade is held annually over Memorial Day weekend at the Red Lion Inn in Olympia, Washington. Enjoy the largest historical miniature gaming convention west of the Mississippi at Enfilade. Visit www.nhmgscitadel.com for more information. Wargaming Recon is proudly sponsored by The Wargaming Company. Wish you could play a great Napoleonics wargame that's different from the same old stuff? Try ESR! ESR makes Napoleonics accessible. A complete system with you as a core commander. Start an army with ESR box sets or use your existing collection. It's meaty enough for diehards but friendly for newcomers. Visit The Wargaming Company Welcome to Wargaming Recon. I'm Jonathan J. Reinhardt. Wargaming Recon is the only member of the TSR Podcast Network to discuss historical and New England gaming. Today, we have a very special guest with us. He has written numerous roles, which you probably should know, but you haven't, and he's an amazing game designer. He did a fantastic seminar recently at the Let's Roll Virtual Gaming Convention talking about game design and sharing all sorts of tips and tricks that can help you if you want to be a game designer. I'm referring to the one and only Mr. Roby Jenkins. Roby, how are you today? I'm very well today, Jonathan. And you know, you are exactly right. I am literally
1: the one and only Roby Jenkins. There are no other Roby Jenkinses in the entire world.
0: Are you sure? <laughs> Should we take a bet? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Let's
0: I go have, to the phone line. I have
1: looked <laughs> very hard. Yeah, I've looked very hard. I cannot find any other Roby Jenkinses. Yeah. Roby as a, as a first name is a lot more common on your side of the pond than it is over here. Um, is but it really? It seems, it seems to be far more common as a girl's name in the States. Okay. So go figure.
0: How do you feel about being so unique? Uh, yeah, it's
1: one of those things that has, has dogged me my whole life. I, every now and then I've thought, shall I, shall I ditch it? Shall I shall I take on some other name that people can pronounce and spell? Um, but uh, I've stuck with it so far, and now it's on the front of a couple of books. I feel like it's, it's kind of, you know, I'm committed now.
0: I think you are. Uh, do people really have a hard time pronouncing your name?
1: If they've only seen it spelled, yes, yeah.
0: Well, that's fascinating. because Yeah, most he... most
1: people call me Robbie on First Encounter.
0: Oh, my good, I would never have guessed that.
1: Yeah. And if they've only heard it written, they almost never spell it right. Uh, usually it's because it's R-O-B-E-Y. They usually either miss the E or they spell it R-O-B-I or R-O-B-I-E. Anything along those lines, I see. But uh, hardly ever does somebody spell it right without me telling them how to spell it.
0: Oh, no, that's interesting. See, I have similar problems where people don't spell Jonathan correctly. <laughs> and I, I oh it's, I mean, it's a couple the, they put too many h's in they put too many yeah h's there's o's there's extra vowels in places oh, okay. uh, and i mean there are like two or three pretty standard spellings uh but they just they do all sorts of i don't know things my big problem is um have you ever found like if you have to fill out like a form for something and it only gives you so many spaces i get close to running out of spaces
1: <laughs> and it's not even that long <laughs> I'll be like can i mean, have a
0: second no, it's not. But it's long enough. <laughs> yeah. They're getting shorter and shorter now. Between that and my last name, it's just like, oh, man, come on, help me out.
1: Yeah. No, uh,
0: but, but we're not here to talk about names. Well, not mine, anyway. Um, We're here to talk about you, because you are far more interesting than I am, and you do all sorts yeah, of really, exactly. really cool things. Uh, Like, for example, you have a game out now that has a cool expansion, Zero Dark, right? Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Uh just to get the, the, the marketing bit out of the spiel. So last March, uh, just as the uh, current situation was kicking off, um, I released a new game with astonishing inappropriate timing because it's a game <laughs> called Zero Dark. It's a, a sci-fi or near-future skirmish miniatures game, and it is designed to be played as a conventional PvP game But also right in the heart of the rules is the solo or cooperative rules. So I was picked a really good time to be releasing a solo game. Yeah, I think you did. Um, And it's it's, uh, uh, it's been going really well. It's been going really well. I'm building a a community of enthusiasts around the game, Um, starting to see people get miniatures on the table as they kind of grok, grok the rules and get their heads around how it's supposed to be played. I've got my first set of FAQs due to come out. Uh, address any errata in the rules or fix any any common questions and uh, and i'm working hard as you say on the first expansion for the game it's going to be out i, I fingers crossed I'm, I'm aiming for end of august um, the writing should all be done by the end of july and then then uh, i've got to get the art and, and the layout and all the editing and formatting done
0: that's a lot of work so how do you where do you start with all that i guess
1: um, well, the, the thing I recommend people start with, if you're trying to design a game, is doing something else. Um, game design is a terrible <laughs> way to make a living. Okay. Um, terrible way to make a living. Terrible way to try and feed your family. Um, please have a career, have a life, have a job. Um, do something else to make money. And then when you have time and mental space, you can enjoy working on a game design in your own time and without any rush. If, on the other hand, what you do is decide to give up a promising professional career and take to writing games full time, <laughs> um, then then you tend to find yourself having to do things in a lot of a rush. I Not mean, a rush is the wrong word, but because you're working on it every day and you're always very intensely conscious that you've got a product that isn't for sale yet, and you don't make any money until the product is for sale, that the pressure to to make sure that you keep momentum on anything new that you're working on is is quite intense and at the same time you can't only ever be working on one thing um one it's it's very draining it's quite boring only to be working on one thing but two you've always got to have the next product in development for the next thing after that otherwise you'd constantly be spending six months between every new product or longer between every new product until you've actually got something on sale to to make money
0: that is a lot of pressure right there
1: yeah, well, it's, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, I, I should hasten to add, I would not have given up the day job if I did not have resources on which to fall back. Um, and, and I, I am enormously blessed that I do have, uh, resources I can fall back on for a little while while I get my business established. Um, however, they are not endless. Um, so, so I still do have that pressure of making sure that things keep going, but there is certainly no risk of my family. Going without or starving because I am pursuing my dream job.
0: So, what I'm hearing here, although you're not specifically saying it, is that people need to head on over to Wargame Vault and buy the print copy and digital copy, and then also head on over to Patreon and support you there as well.
1: (laughs) Is that right? All of those things. All of those (laughs) things. Um, If I've not mentioned it, there we go. Uh, Precinct Omega (laughs) is is my company. Um, So, if you search on Wargame Vault for Precinct Omega, you will find all of my current products. So that's Zero Dark, which I've just mentioned. Um, There's a book there called Over the Horizon. Now, my previous set of rules was Horizon Wars, um, which you and I discussed a long time ago. Uh, Horizon Wars was released in 2016 by Osprey Games. And Osprey and I since then have amicably parted company. So the rights are no longer theirs to exploit. So they're not allowed to publish it anymore. Um, so if you do find copies, they're copies that they have already sold. So if you buy Horizon Wars, thank you, but it's not making me a penny anymore. Um, so there's no money off that. But if you do buy Horizon <laughs> Wars, you already have it, there is now a supplement for Horizon Wars on Wargame Vault, which you can get digitally or print on demand. It's called Over the Horizon, and that contains all sorts of additional rules for Horizon Wars. So it's got super heavy vehicles, it's got transforming vehicles, sorry, the meta to avoid any uh IP infringement. Um, It's got data war, which is electronic warfare, hacking, um, interference, that kind of stuff. It's (laughs) got uh, bio war. So if you want to take giant monsters, kaiju, dinosaurs, dragons, that's all in there. Um, It's got strategic assets. So it's got things like naval assets, um, which don't appear on the tabletop. I hasten to add, they're all sort of off-table stuff. Field hospitals, uh, special forces, missions, um, and there's a sort of mini game for the air war is all in there. There's a, there's a bunch of other stuff, but it's, uh, it's there to sort of enhance your experience. It's there. It's the answer to all of those people who came to me after Horizon Wars was, uh, published and said, are there rules for X? To which my answer was no, but there will be. Uh, so I, I took all of those ideas that people had me, wrote the rules. And I, I published them in Over the Horizon. The third thing people will find on Wargame Vault if you like the idea of a solo sci fi skirmish game, but maybe you're not sure, you don't know me, you don't know my reputation, you don't know whether they're going to be any good, there's a product there called Training Run, which is a condensed version of the Zero Dark Rules with a single mission and a selection of heroes, pre designed heroes from which to choose. Uh, and Training Run is pay what you want. Uh, So you can pay nothing, you can pay $10, anything in between. I really don't care. Uh, But take Training Run for a spin, and if you like it, go and buy the
0: real thing. I really like that you're using the pay-what-you-want model for that because Mm. when that first came out on Game Vault, not many people really understood how to use it or what it was. And so we have a lot of our podcast episodes up, on Wargame Vault. We're actually going to continue to add our whole back catalog on there as well. And one of the things that we did initially was we had all of them as free because our content's freely available. And we are I have a very firm open source kind of uh, frame of mind. Different for me than for you, though. And so then we started to migrate some of that into pay what you want and thinking if people wanted to do a tip or whatever. Uh, but I love how you could have just put these out for free, uh, which would have, uh, on one hand, it's great because doesn't cost anyone anything. But then I think people don't value it as much. That so is like,
1: exactly it. Yeah. No, that is exactly the case that people don't value what they can get for free. Whereas yeah. if you it, say there is a value to this thing, but we're going to let you decide what it is, the majority of people will assign a monetary value, even if it's a low one, to something that they can get for free necessarily. And, and yet they'll still put something in the pot. And, you know, for, for content producers like you and me, if the volume of that is enough, it makes
0: all the difference you can and like i'm looking right now on Wargame vault at this and they're saying suggested price two dollars and 45 cents american which doesn't sound like a lot but it's a cup of coffee here
1: here that, that's pretty much where i went it to i went it's, it's you know to sit down it's a pint for me or a cup of coffee or whatever it might be so i'm not sure where you can get a pint for two dollars 45 anymore but uh yeah yeah,
0: yeah possibly at <laughs> the supermarket no but it, it, it's good though because then like that helps to keep you fueled you can do game design you can do all this stuff and I find the pricing on all your products here really affordable, actually. Uh, so, like, the Horizon War Zero Dark rules you have for the PDF, it's on sale right now. I don't know how long you're having it on sale. As
1: long as the current situation continues, it will be okay. on sale. And it's, it's £10, but then Wargame Vault adjusts that into whatever the current rate of dollars is.
0: Yeah, so, like, here in the U.S., it's on sale for $12.23. And yeah. even full price, $18.34, that's, what, like, £15?
1: Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, that's about to to my mind, that's about the most I feel comfortable charging for any PDF of any size is about 15 pounds, which I think is a fair representation of sort of the, the effort. And if you, if you get it, you'll see there's a the fair amount of um, uh, sort of artistic work has gone into making it a, a well presented document. Um, but uh, the print on demand copy is only 20 pounds. And I, I really, I don't know to say I agonized over that. I didn't. Um, but it was important to me that I keep the price down really as low as I can on the print-on-demand copy. Um, I, I actually make a very small margin on the print-on-demand compared to the digital. So if you want me to benefit, please get the combined pack, get the print and the digital, and then I do well. Um, but a print-on-demand copy, it means so much to people. People like us, you know, we're analog gamers. We like analog engagement. And much as we're in a digital world now, you know, we, we like having a physical thing in our hands that's really important. I think it looks really good. I think it also really um, helped that, you know, my, my artist, uh, David Sondre, who did the cover art, I don't think you appreciate how good his work is if you're just looking at it digitally, however large you might blow up the picture. When you get it in your hands and you really see that physical thing, you can appreciate how beautiful it is. Uh, and it, it just... Makes for a different experience. So I'm I'm trying to keep the price on that down to what I think is reasonable because that was the foundations of of my business model. My first my first gaming enterprise was called One Pound War Games, and the idea was really small, compact rule sets for a pound to go. Um, It didn't go a long way because I got distracted by other stuff. But even now, I'm doing sort of bigger, more elaborate rule sets. I still want to keep that price point as as affordable and achievable as possible.
0: I. I I really do believe your pricing here is amazing. And uh, I agree with you that, uh, like for me, for example, I prefer to have the physical item uh, behind my green screen. Oh, Not that people can see because we're audio, but I have a green screen behind me. And behind my green screen, I just have tons, not all, but I have tons of my you know, rule books and all that kind of stuff. But since so much is digitized now, for me anyway, and I think for a lot of gamers out there, uh, the ease of use aspect like, I don't want to lug, like, five books with me to the game store or convention or, or the club or wherever. I want to bring my tablet. And so I like getting both whenever possible. And for me, that actually really started with um, Henry Hyde uh, and his yeah, World yeah, gaming yeah. Compendium, which I think is the best just survey of tabletop gaming in modern history. And I, I got it one year for Christmas. I got the, the physical copy. And then when it came out as digital, I was like, well, I'm going to get it as digital. And mm-hmm. I did that, and for me, it's interesting to know that you get a greater profit on the digital than you do on the physical, because I think a lot I mean, of people would yeah, think digital that digital help you out with I, the
1: physical. Yeah, no, I, the, with the digital product, I pay, obviously, I, I, I pay, basically, the way uh, Wargame Vault works is on a royalty system like any publisher. Mm-hmm. So, although I am a publishing company within Wargame Vault, they operate as my publisher. And so, they pay me a generous chunk of the proceeds of any product. Um, but the proceeds of a print copy only apply after the costs of printing. Yeah. Whereas the proceeds of a digital copy are the entire cost of the product. So actually, I make a, a, a very good return on the digital product. I make a much smaller one on the physical one, but the physical one just has a different impact in the market.
0: No, it definitely does. And I I just, I continue to be amazed either by uh, publishers who don't or, or don't put as much effort into the digital product or also uh, from players who, from what I've been able to tell, they really do seem to feel that they're doing uh, a greater good uh, or helping out the publisher more by getting the physical as opposed to the digital. Uh, almost like uh, they feel guilty getting the digital if they're only getting one. Uh, So it's nice to know that it's actually helping you more if they get the digital. It genuinely does.
1: Yeah. In the current product, I have to say when I was uh, under contract with with Osprey, the the difference was negligible because they had a different publishing model. And that's no reflection I hasten to add on on Osprey. I should say, even though we have parted company, they're they're a great team of people, Got a lot of time for them. and, And obviously, they've put so many rule sets out there that are either exposing Concepts more rules to people that, that deserve exposure or they're bringing you rules writers to market like me um, That otherwise might never have got that kind of breakthrough I mean, there's very few companies doing independent war game publishing out there. There's uh, there's osprey There's sort of modifious entertainment. I'm struggling to think of anybody else.
0: Yeah, I can't think of anyone at all and, uh it, It's for me. It's interesting that how you uh, mention osprey because I know that more recently are you familiar with Sam Mustafa? Of um, uh, He's done all sorts of stuff, Aurelian and uh, LaSalle and Longstreet. He does a, a bunch of uh, historical rule sets uh, for people. I know and the
1: name. I haven't played any of his games, but I know the name.
0: They're like the uh, the honor series of games, and he's done them all himself generally. And he's finding more and more that he's had to stop doing the physical because a lot of his people who for his audience are in your part of the world. But he's here in the States. And so it's like impossible. So his options are really to kind of just like go the whole Amazon route, which would turn off all the independent stockists or to set up something elsewhere. And so people, he was asking his audience for help. And people were saying, have you thought about getting in touch with Osprey to see if you can work out something with them where they would do your stuff and that would kind of help you out in that part of the world. And um, I think maybe it's not as well known for game designers. Or, or new game designers maybe that Osprey is a possibility? Well I, nice.
1: yeah, the, the, the curious thing as I said on my uh, on my seminar at Let's roll, is that traditional publishing your way in is so dependent upon either chance or continuous networking or more likely a combination of both. You mm-hmm. know it really does need to you to be in the right place at the right time with a product that they want to publish and a reputation that they think that they can work with. Um, and it's so chance-dependent that it's very hard to get into. I mean, as far as um, getting print copies on this side of the Atlantic goes, Wargame Vault, they've got a printer in Milton Keynes, like oh, two hours from where I'm sitting. Um, so it's incredibly easy to order products in the UK from Wargame Vault in print version because they're printed in the UK you pay UK shipping you pay UK prices yeah, and it and it, it takes a couple of weeks but that's cuz that's how long it takes to get through the print queue
0: That's true I mean if it's print on demand that's what you got to do Exactly
1: uh, uh, But my I mean my plan for for Zero Dark um which I had hoped to do by now but for various reasons I've not been able to um but I'm basically I'm just going to order a huge pile of Zero Dark books of my own you know I'm going to get 10 or 15 copies in Um, and just have them sit on my shelf so that people can actually buy them directly from me. Uh, And then I, rather than having to wait two weeks for it to ship out of Wargame Vault, buy them from me. I'll have them in the post. Well, uh, certainly within five days, this being uh, the the situation that it is, I I can't get to the post office every day.
0: No, of course not. Um, So is your plan then that you would offer them through your website of uh, Precinctsmegoh.co.uk.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm about to. Uh, if you look on my website at the moment, uh, there are two sort of product ranges on there. One is uh, a, se- a set of things called Ball Monsters. Yes, <laughs> which we'll come to eventually, um, and also a lot of six mil sci-fi from a company called Strato Minis. So I've got a good relationship with Strato, and so I'm kind of their UK stockist. But I'm I'm very low on stock. Uh, you can't quite see it in the background. If you can see the video version of that. Up on the wall behind me that's all yep. the stock of theirs that i've currently got which is not very much so oh i goodness. have got a huge restock in the post at the moment i know it's shipped from poland it's on its way um and so i'm about to be redoing my whole website to try and uh, sort of relaunch it a bit make it now i know how i'm supposed to be using it and how it's supposed to work i think it's time i i went back and gave it a real kick and uh, and dragged it up in standard and content a bit so with that, I will be laying out a lot more stuff for Horizon Wars with Strato Minis, um, and, uh, and I'll tuck the ball monsters away into a, into a corner for a little while until I can give them the attention they deserve.
0: Since you mentioned it, can we talk about ball monsters for a minute? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Uh, so what are they, for those who don't know? Well, okay, so back in
1: 2017, uh, a company called Macrocosm Miniatures ran a kickstarter now macrocosm is a little miniatures manufacturer in the uk interestingly the, the, the guy who runs it chris is about 15 minutes from my house i, I know him well oh is he um yeah i mean it, we knew each other slightly but it was only we got to know each other at some events and then we realized that he lives in like the same the next town over so uh so i ended up doing a little work for him on that kickstarter um so i painted the studio wow. miniatures for to support the Kickstarter and to support his his retail uh, work after that, and the Kickstarter was successful, and, and it was for these. Basically, they are well, they're ball monsters. I mean, they're ball shaped <laughs> monsters. I mean, I'm not sure how much more I can can get this. Yeah, um, they, they are. If you've ever seen, if you ever seen Games Workshop squigs, okay, take the legs and the wings away, you got ball monsters. It's what they are. Um, so. Chris did this Kickstarter, it was very successful. I think he was looking for like a couple of hundred quid, and he ended up funding like £7,000 for it. That was great. He put them into production, shipped them out to all of the backers, put them into retail, uh, and they didn't really shift after that. Um, it was one of those cases where, you know, the Kickstarter kind of reached everybody who wanted them, and there wasn't much left for them after that. So he was distracted with other projects. And he thought, look, these aren't going anywhere. I'll put them up for sale. And from the moment I first saw them, I thought, those are miniatures looking for a game. I mean, yes, you can use them in all, all kinds of fantasy settings uh, in their own right, but they've got so much character and so much humor implicit in the designs that they need a game of their own. And so I went to Chris and I said, look, I, I'll buy them off you, I'll buy the molds, I'll buy the rights, I'll buy all the minis you've got, all the stock, all the painted stuff that I painted, um, and I will write the game. And I'll write a game for them. And currently on my website, there is a beta of a game for those miniatures. Um, and it's it's kind of a board miniatures game uh, hybrid. It's played on a very small board. It's an A, I think, A2 piece of paper. Um, and you use tape measures and dice and twelve-sided, obviously, and and it's a fu- the game works. It's the first thing I would say. The game is fine. It works. It's entertaining. But the reason I'm not taking it any further is because it's not funny enough. And okay. the game needs to be hilarious. I mean, that's all I can say. It, the, the concepts behind the ball monsters are deeply, deeply silly. Um, and the game needs to be equally silly, and I'm not good at writing silly games. So my plan is to get Zero Dark out of the way, get uh, the, the first supplement done. I have got a couple of other designs that I'm working on simultaneously, and I'll keep working on those, but once I've got Operation Nemesis out of the way, I will free time in my schedule to look at ball monsters again and come up with something sillier and more appropriate. Um, my suspicion is I don't think I can avoid that it may end up being a Hexmat game. Um, I've been trying to avoid Hexmats because they, they tend to me to feel exclusive. So you've got to have a Hexmat to play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've not liked that. But given that I want this to be a silly, accessible game that you can play with children, um, I think the Hexmat is essential. I should say also, at the moment, the Ball Monsters miniatures, do not buy them for children. I mean, look at the shape of them. They are the very definition of a choking hazard. For heaven's sake, do not give these miniatures to children. They're terrifying. Um, but uh, in due course, I want it to be a game that people like you and I, I mean, I've got older children, you've got younger children. As your kids get old enough that you could be playing miniatures games with them, this is the kind of game I would like a early years child to be able to play, you know, in in reception or year one that we call it here. I don't know I can't remember what it is in the States. Um, kindergarten ought to be able to play these games and understand them and find them funny because it should all be about snot and farting and burping and all that lovely stuff. Um, so that, that's what I'm, that's what I'm pushing for. I'm not quite there yet. It is, it is slightly silly because you do have the, the fireballs. The fireballs are absolutely hilarious because they're on fire, obviously. Um, but they don't care. Whereas the other balls don't like being on fire but the fireballs if they bounce them will set the other balls on fire and then they can set more balls on fire and eventually every ball all the balls are running around on fire that mm-hmm. is funny, that um, is funny. But, uh, but but there's there's more work that needs to be done to make it sufficiently silly my my vision is i want it I've, I've got in my mind a 6 year old girl and i want her to find it funny and fun whilst it's still being interesting enough to engage her parents as well that's my target for the game I think that's quite a target you got there.
0: So and we talked about visions
1: like... in in my in my seminar and the visions of what the game looks like on the table and and what it feels like. Well, feels like is is just farting and burping balls floating all over the place and knocking each other into portals. That's what it should feel like. <laughs> what it should look like is a six year old girl giggling. There we go. There's my vision for this
0: game. Oh, I love it.
1: <laughs> so so that's that's what I'm I'm aiming for. We'll see if I can do that.
0: Now, it, it's really interesting to me um, that this is what you plan to do with Ball Monsters because um, I became aware of them through the miniature wargaming, the movie documentary. Okay. And,
1: yes. Yeah, which is all by Chris. Of
0: course it was. I was in there briefly. I, I, and I, I had wondered what happened to them. So like, after I'd seen the documentary… I went on his website. I went looking and I started talking to people. I talked to the director, uh, Joseph Pittington. And I said, do you know what's going on with these ball monsters? Like, where are they? What's going on? Uh, Cause like at the end of the film, it just, it kind of ends with Chris saying, Oh, like it didn't work so well at UK board game expo. Maybe we'll make a board game out of it someday, but not now. And I was like, these look amazing. Where are they? And what's going on with and no <laughs> one knew them. anything.
1: Uh, that was me.
0: <laughs> and so now I have the answer that I've been looking for for the past handful of years. What happened to the Ball Monsters? Because really, nobody knew. Nobody was telling me a darn thing about them. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to reach out to everyone. Who? Yeah. Someone must I know something. And nobody knew. They are here with you. One of my wonderful. challenges at the
1: moment is that they need to be recast. Um, they were designed... Um, basically, the guy who sculpted them didn't really sculpt them with the kind of casting in mind that I needed. The person who cast them didn't it didn't do a bad job, but it didn't do a great job. Um, and so that the existing molds are reaching the end of their usable life. And when I have them recast, I want them to be recast so they are more accessible as miniatures. So at the moment, basically, you've got to be quite adept as a hobbyist to be able to put these balls on the stands and use them on the table. Um, and I am determined that the new molds will make them much easier to put on stands. So you should be able to pretty much get them out of the pack, put them on a stand, have them on the table ready to go. Um, so that's, that's sort of my, my first step. The next step after that will be to cast them in colored resin so that you can get a colored team straight away to get them all in one color, all blue, all red, whatever. Um, and then eventually to be able to cast them as a single, um, Essentially a plastic model, but not plastic in the sense of going through not not hard styrene, but plastic, traditionally mm-hmm. cast plastic. A little bit like um, Private Air Press has done with some of their miniatures. Yeah. Um, so I'd like them to be cast. So that basically they can come straight out of the box, beyond the tabletop, already on a base, on a stand, whatever it's going to be, and not present a choking hazard to small children.
0: That would be wonderful.
1: Yeah, it would be good if they weren't <laughs> a choking hazard, I agree. But long-term, yeah. it's, it's a long-term thing. I think I need to establish myself in the market as a gamer, build my community, um, and then maybe one day I can, I can take the Ball Monsters back to Kickstarter for a bigger thing.
0: I think that's really wise because I think a game like Ball Monsters uh, can pigeonhole you, yeah. unfortunately, and having it be a thing that you like that's fun but also be part of your portfolio instead of being the <laughs> first part of your portfolio is really important. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't want people to pigeonhole me as the as the farting ball guy. No, that's true.
0: <laughs> it's just uh, I I'm picturing you know a customer going into a game shop and, and seeing your name on Horizon Wars and saying, "Wait, the ball monsters guy did that? I'm not buying this. <laughs> like, what? Like, do, yeah. do I roll a d6 for to see if I fart? Like, what happens here? I, I don't understand.
1: It will. It will always be a D twelve Jonathan. You know.
0: I, mean? I know. <laughs> I, I just said that to tweak you a little bit. <laughs> for people who don't get the reference, you really do have to go and check back on our YouTube channel and our Facebook group uh, for the incredible seminar uh, from Let's Roll Gone about game design. I'll talk about. You details. still haven't yeah, me over. Don't get 12 But someday maybe you will. Yeah. Because I, I don't know. I'm a D ten guy. D ten and D six. yeah. <laughs> he's shaking his head. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a game designer though, so I just like to roll lots of dice. Although now I, I don't even roll real dice; I roll them virtually. I have dice rolling apps. Yes, and I'm, no,
1: I'm I'm a, a big fan of a dice rolling
0: app. Do you? I I hesitate to ask because this is almost like an endorsement in a non-endorsing way. As you, a gamer, do you have one or or several that you tend
1: to like? to use? I, Oh, I only have one. I've I've one. It's called it's just called Dice Roller. I'll look for my. I haven't got my phone handy, or I'll show you which one it is. Yeah, it's just called Dice Roller. Um and it was a free app. Doesn't Ooh, seem like to that. have any adverts. And Ooh. and you can you can have dice of any number of sides, of any colour, any number of dice, any combination of dice, and you just tap the screen and all the dice on the screen roll. It's brilliant. That's
0: fantastic.
1: I, I don't use it a lot when I check play, in. interestingly. Um when I play I do like to roll real dice, but when I'm designing and when I'm I, I talked again, I talked about conceptual playtesting um it's brilliant for conceptual play testing because i can just sort of make up a scenario in my head think that i know what the probabilities are but then you've really got to roll dice to see the probabilities working in action and run through it yeah. several times over and over and again and say does this stack up in practice to what i thought the math said the probabilities were going to be yes it does brilliant move on or or no that's that's weird that outcome is strange why is that outcome strange and what can i do about it and, and I, I find a dice rolling app brilliant for, for conceptual playtesting.
0: No, that's really handy um, to talk about Henry Hyde again for a moment. It, uh, for me, Henry has um, made me have a love for what he refers to as imaginations, as hypothetical, uh, historical situations. And in his world building, he has you rolling a lot of dice. So I used to just roll the real yeah. dice thinking that, you know, if I'm rolling the real dice, the results are more authentic. And as time progressed, I was like, this is ridiculous so that i just i started just doing the digital ones and i'm like here we go (laughs) i want like 20 dice of whatever and off you go and then let's see what the results are and just go with that so it's been um i don't know dice rolling apps are just really the way for me to go i think now i there there is
1: i mean and i've talked about this but in other places the question of the haptic feedback from dice Mm -hmm. that you don't necessarily get from a dice roller and that's that's I mean, obviously, people who play something like well, I mean, I think Chris, but at the same time, I totally understand the appeal of the physical feedback of having two handfuls of dice that you're about to roll at a problem. Yeah, um, and and that, even though I think as a designer that is quite ludicrous, at the same time as a gamer, I definitely understand the appeal and the and the the haptics of dice rolling that I think you do lose on a, on a dice roller itself.
0: You do. You um you mentioned a little bit ago uh, you gave the name for your next project. Oh yeah. Do you, do you want to talk about that for a moment? Well, the, the current
1: thing that I'm working on at the moment is Operation Nemesis. Um, in Zero Dark, uh, as I said at the start, Zero Dark is designed to be played solo or co-op or what I call versus mode, so PvP. Mm-hmm. Um... And in the the versus mode, you're just generally you're just playing a standalone mission. So you've each got a a, a um, symmetric mission that you're playing through, and one of you wins at the end. Simple. In solo or co-op game, you are playing what amounts to an asymmetric mission. So you're playing a team, and you've got a mission, and either you control the whole team, or you share the team between you and the other players, and you're trying to achieve a certain inevitably. If you link several missions together, you get a storyline, um, and so there's a system in in Zero Dark to allow you to progress through that storyline, pick up wounds, rescue people who've been captured, get supply drops with new equipment, all that kind of stuff. Um, and when you've got a linked set of missions, I call it an operation. So people will say, well, "Well, that's what everybody else call a campaign." I say, "Yeah, but in my when you have several operations, that's a campaign." Mm-hmm. So Operation Nemesis is my first operation book for Zero Dark. And I would like there to be several, um, but I want that to be a maturing process. So I'm not going to be rushing from one operation book to the next. But Operation Nemesis is, is going to be the first one. Um, it'll contain a an operation of 12 linked missions in three acts, three acts of four missions each. Um, and it will also contain six new versus missions. So uh, even for people who really are only interested in PvP, it'll be worth getting. In addition to that, there's a bunch of new rules that are going to be in there as well. So uh, it'll also act as an expand to Zero Dark. But I hasten to add, um, for those who perhaps don't feel that they want to buy a whole new book just for the extra rules, if you're not interested in the operations, if you're not interested in the extra missions, the new rules themselves will be available as a pay what you want download. So you can just cool. add them to your existing zero dark rules, but everything else is going to be just in the Operation Nemesis book. So I've commissioned David to do the art for it. I've sent in the briefs. He's working on that. Um, I have just finished writing the narrative. I have finished eight of the missions, so they are written. Um, four of them are just sketched out, and I haven't finished them yet. Uh all of the new rules are done, unless I come up with any new brainstorm. Oh no, I tell a lie. There's one set of new rules that isn't quite finished, not written yet. They're 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 composed. They're in my head, but they're not on on uh, in writing as yet because that's a it introduces kind of another new way to play the game in the mm-hmm. course of the the mission the campaign. But I don't want to confuse people. Um. So yeah, I hope my target for that is end of August. I'll be brutally honest. I am yet to meet a deadline for publication. Um, so I suspect it'll be more like end of September. But as I say, I'm working on a target of August because that gives me a deadline that I've got to work. I know David's art deadline is the end of July. So then all the pressure on me is to get everything else done in August.
0: Well, th- that's awesome. Uh, do you have, and you you probably don't, but I have to ask anyway. Uh, do you have a general feeling about what you might think about for pricing for it?
1: Uh, it, it'll be pretty much the same price as Zero Dark because it'll be about the same size. Awesome. Yeah, so so I suspect that the PDF will be £15 pounds and, and the print on it should be about 80 to 90 pages long.
0: And one of the neat things that you can do with Wargame Vault is the ability to make a bundle uh, where you put like mm. all the relevant stuff together. Uh, have you considered about doing that with, say, like some of these extras? Uh, you mentioned about the rules being, uh, extra rules being available as like uh, pay what you want but maybe doing a bundle where people get those and the core rules together and you have some sort of and the FAQ
1: it. yeah no that's do you know I hadn't but I knew bundles existed and that hadn't sort of ticked on me that's a really good point I should definitely do that as soon as it's ready that that will be a thing okay
0: great <laughs> <Hooray. laughs> uh yeah th- I think people kind of dismiss uh everyone over there at one bookshelf because uh, they're known mostly for I think they're role playing game stuff uh, at our, um, they have two action names sort uh, drive through RPG, and they have another one. Oh, um, they've got loads!
1: They've got drive through RPG, they've got drive through cards, drive through fiction. No, but yeah. I mean,
0: I mean, just for the role playing games, they have two specifically oh. for that, uh, and I think people tend to kind of focus them on them for that, and not so much with the wargaming stuff. But they have a lot there, and they have a lot of functionality. Oh, huge, built in.
1: absolutely huge. The 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 market on War Game Vault, both of independently designed games. Uh, many of which are just excellent i mean as a designer i look at some of these games and go, these are works of genius you know mm. i'm genuinely blown away um some of the people writing on there i, I feel like I, I can't compete with them in in terms of game design quality sometimes so uh, so i have to work harder um but uh but that and, and other resources just things like there's 3D printable scenery and miniatures on there there's mm-hmm. paper scenery and terrain that you can download and build for yourself um uh, standies uh, you know if you ever want a horde of zombies you can just download standy card zombies from from wargame vault print them and and you you're there just the amount of stuff is just amazing
0: uh i think that you've been using them is a really smart move uh, to kind of help lower your um, administrative side of stuff or what you have to deal the track with so you can kind of just focus on doing the games and getting good content out there
1: the, the main advantage at the moment is that i don't have to worry about my vat yes um, because at the moment uh the vat in the uk has to be charged on digital products it's not chargeable on other books but just on digital books um and so being able to know that the VAT is being dealt with by Game Vault means I just have to take my royalties and the job is good. Now, it should be said that the, the government in the UK has said they're going to be changing those rules. Um, well, thus far, the only upside from Brexit that I have discovered, um, so the British government has, has said that they plan to change the law on VAT on digital products. I, to be honest, having said Brexit, actually, I think, think the European Union might have decided to do the same thing. So it might even not be a benefit from Brexit, which is hey, what a surprise, no benefits. <laughs> um, but as I say, digital, digital books are apparently going to no longer attract VAT, which would mean that I could potentially start to self publish, which would mean that I could get 100% of the cover price rather than the percentage that I royalty that I get. involved. that said, I may still stay with Wargame Gold because they do so many other things to, to market and promote the products on their site that um, it, it may well be that actually I would make more money getting a percentage from them than I would getting the full cover price and, and relying on my own marketing. So we
0: shall see. One thing for me as a – like you, I'm a publisher on there, although you're a mm-hmm. real one um, – <laughs> uh, one thing for me that I found is a benefit for using them is that if you offer product on there and someone wants to get it, they only need one account hmm. that works for all their sites. Oh, that goes in, and then anything they buy gets saved to their account. So, hmm. well, that's it. Yeah, it the device or whatever. If they're worried, oh, I, I got a new computer, I got a new whatever. What am I gonna do? They can just go and they can download it again. It doesn't mean they can like freely share it with a million people. But no, them it comes.
1: It comes. Watermark. They do the watermarking, which is fantastic. That's the other point. And yeah, exactly. So it gets saved in your library. Um, have you ever spoken to Even Sorensen at Nordic Weasel?
0: No, I can't say I have.
1: You definitely should. Ivan um, is a is a such a nice guy. Um, Nordic Weasel are a big publishers on Wargame Bolt, and he does a whole range of different games. Anything called Five Something from Something is probably him. So things like five parsecs from home or five clips from, clicks from home, that kind of stuff is, is all Nordic weasel. And after I started uh, self-publishing on Wargame Vault, um, I, can't, I think Ivan reached out to me first, but then I went back to him with some questions, and he was so willing to help out what amounts to a competitor, to be honest, in many ways, although it's arguable whether we're really in competition because... Most people buy everything. If they're interested in one thing, they buy it all. Um, and and he gave me such good advice. Um, and they've got a Nordic Weasel has got a very good approach on Wargame Vault. They will publish a new set of rules in beta at a discounted price, uh, in PDF only. And so people can download the PDF, play the game, give them feedback. They will then adjust the rules accordingly in response to the feedback. And then release the finished rules, but everybody who bought it in beta automatically has access to the updated rules because their copy in their library updates automatically. That's awesome. Genius. I'm definitely going to copy that. So in future PDF, PDF versions of my rules and stuff will come out first. And then I will get feedback from people who, who play and try the game and point out all of my mistakes hmm. only when I've had their feedback for a month or so. Will I release the print-on-demand version? Because obviously, once something goes print-on-demand, you kind of can't
0: change it because people no. spent money for it. No, that's true. Um, do you have any last things that you'd like to plug for people, or uh, how people can stay up to date with you and uh, follow what you're doing?
1: If anybody has been interested in, in what I've had to say, if they'd like to know more about what Precinct Omega does, uh, about our values, or about about what we are doing in the wider world of wargaming by far the best place to be is on our patreon um, I am I am not highly demanding of my patrons the levels of backing are very modest um, but I am a, a regular patreon contributor there is a lot of material on there all of the experimental rules for operation nemesis are on the patreon there are samples of operation nemesis missions are up there for people to try out and feedback um, and I do a lot of sort of regular, Um, audio and video updates for the patrons exclusively so if you like what you've heard that is the best place to go if maybe you're
0: not that committed get along to war game vault and the very good and like you said your levels they are super affordable for as little as two dollars a month three dollars a month or five dollars a month people can become backers of yours at patreon.com slash precinct omega that is that is super affordable. And I I, I,
1: I, I, I take my, I take it really seriously. Um, in the sense that I I am determined to make sure that if you're backing Precinct Omega on Patreon, you feel like you are getting value for money. Loads of my patrons are just backing precinct Omega because they like what I'm doing and they want me to be able to keep doing it, which I hugely appreciate. But I feel like you ought to get value out of your Patreon support. It's not just a moral vote. It it should be a commercial decision to get better, more interesting stuff from your backing, and and I am trying to put out new stuff for my patrons all the time.
0: That's wonderful. And you mentioned Wargame Vault and your Patreon. uh, Any social media uh, groups or places? Everywhere.
1: All the things. (laughs) Everywhere. If you search for Precinct Omega, one word, you will find me on the Twitters, on the Facebook, on Pinterest. Uh, Pinterest is great. I love people coming and seeing my Pinterest pages because that's where I do game mood boards. So if you want to see where I get my visual inspiration for various games, uh, I get some hints on games that I'm working on. It's all on Pinterest. Um, but yeah, uh, Instagram. I've got a very active Instagram feed. I post a lot of photos of my work in progress miniatures up there. Um, I'm on Facebook. There's a dedicated Zero Dark Facebook page and a different uh, Facebook group and a different one for Horizon Wars. So you can check those out. There is one for Ball Monsters as well. There's not a lot lot of activity there, but there is a Ball Monsters group on Facebook. So, you know, if you like the Sound of Ball Monsters, go and join the group. Tell me you like the Sound of Ball Monsters and maybe that will motivate me to do more work on it quicker. You get it all covered, don't you? Yeah. That's great. I'm all over the social media.
0: There you go. And here at Wargaming Recon, we are on all the things everywhere from writing in the sky to the sides of buildings graffitied with our logo as Wargaming Recon. Please don't graffiti buildings, especially with our stuff. I don't want to get sued. Um, (laughs) But really, we're everywhere as Wargaming Recon. So You can get up to date with us on all things and all that stuff. Listen to the podcast and all the usual places that you can listen to all wonderful podcasts. And um, Roby, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been fantastic. I love chatting with you.
1: I, I always love coming to Warrick. I must, uh, I must get onto your coffee mornings more often.
0: Yeah, um, so we're doing those. Uh, I should mention, I guess, uh, for people that we're doing those right now, uh, depending on when I go back to work, <laughs> they're Mondays through Fridays, ten thirty a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then when I go back to work, uh, which will be at some point in the near future, but not for full hours, uh, I think I'm going to have to drop Mondays. So it'll end up being Tuesdays to Fridays at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, but they're a neat thing to do. And uh, like you, I like to give a lot of uh, content to people as much as we can. And we just do all sorts of stuff for people all the time. And um, we're on Facebook. We're on this, we're everywhere. But we're not that interesting. Roby, you are. So uh, thank you very much for coming here and being with us today on this episode of Wargaming Recon. And um, for all the rest of you, you all know the drill. No matter how busy you are, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how much time you're thinking, dang, why didn't I think of Ball Monsters? You gotta, you need to, you have to keep on gaming. Are you always on the go? Why not take Wargaming Recon with you? If you use an app like Pocket Casts, you can listen to your favorite episodes of Wargaming Recon on your mobile device. Wargaming Recon is a proud member of the TSR Podcast Network. Visit wargamingrecon.com slash TSRPN for more information and to learn about the other good shows on the network. This recording is released under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike license. Many thanks to Andrew and Court for inspiring the show's name. Wargaming Recon is dedicated to the memory of longtime listener Andrew. I ask all listeners to join me in a moment of silence in memory of Andrew. Thank you to everyone who backed our 2020 podcast season on Kickstarter. In particular, I would like to thank Bobby Yates, Cigar Box Battle, Enfilade Convention, Jason Elliot, leader of TSR Games, John Vogel, Lead Bears Tufts. Nate Taylor of Dwarven Forge, Rising Phoenix Game Con, and Stefan Pagnoni, founder of Dwarven Forge. We couldn't have been successful without the help of all of you. Thank you so very much, and hope you are enjoying this 2020 podcast season. Wargaming Recon is made possible by listeners like you. Become a Patreon backer to get behind-the-scenes content and new episodes before everyone else, starting at $1 per month. Visit wargamingrecon.com slash patreon to become a patreon backer wargaming recon is proudly sponsored by the wargaming company wish you could play a great napoleonics wargame that's different from the same old stuff try esr esr makes napoleonics accessible a complete system with you as a core commander start an army with esr box sets or use your existing collection it's meaty enough for diehards but friendly for newcomers. Visit thewargamingcompany.com. Wargaming Recon is proudly sponsored by Enfilade. Enfilade is a flagship historical wargaming convention for the Northwest Historical Miniature Gaming Society. Enfilade is held annually over Memorial Day weekend at the Red Lion Inn in Olympia, Washington. Enjoy the largest historical miniature gaming convention west of the Mississippi at Enfilade. Visit www.nhmgscitadel.com for more information. Wargaming Recon is proudly sponsored by the Maine Historical Wargamers Association. Then the folks behind Huzzah, Historical Wargaming for New England. Huzzah takes place May 15th to the 17th, 2020, at the Doubletree in South Portland, Maine. Experience some of the best historical wargaming at Huzzah! Visit www.hazakon.com for more information